The Hamlet Podcast, episode 28. Hello and welcome to this exploration of Shakespeare's Macbeth, with me your host, Connor Hanretty. Ross and the old man have been discussing the various things that went bump in the night. Horses eating each other, owls attacking falcons on the wing. As we left off last time, Macduff was arriving, heralded by Ross. He now asks, How goes the world, sir, now? And Macduff answers, completing Ross's line. Why, see you not? This is quite a rueful answer, isn't it? Look around, pal, he's saying. The place has gone mad. The king has been killed. Throughout the rest of this scene, Ross is going to keep us on track. So now he asks, Is known who did this more than bloody deed? More than bloody is a weird little hyperbole, but it is now in everyone's best interest to come across as horrified and upset by this terrible act. Interestingly, even Macduff has bought the story that it was the guards that butchered Duncan. There doesn't seem to be a trace of suspicion, I don't think, in his answer, that the ones who killed the king were, in his words, those that Macbeth hath slain. Ross is sorry to hear it. For the king's own guards to have done this is dreadful, of course. More dreadful still is the real truth. But it is exciting for us in the audience to know something this juicy when the characters on stage do not. And Ross sighs. Alas the day. What good could they pretend? He's asking here if there was any way they might have justified committing such a crime. Was there any possible good intention behind the murder? What good could they pretend? Macduff seems to have all the information. He explains, They were suborned. Malcolm and Donalbane, the king's two sons, are stolen away and fled, which puts on them suspicion of the deed. The narrative is emerging through the proverbial mists here, and it's happening very much in favour of the Macbeths. The assumption is that the guards were bribed, or suborned, and suspicion is falling squarely at the feet of Malcolm and Donalbane. They have only made themselves look more guilty by running away. Their plan to avoid whatever danger was in the air has backfired and made them the prime suspects in their father's murder. Now Ross gives us another response. Against nature still, thriftless ambition that will raven up thine own life's means. Then tis most like the sovereignty will fall upon Macbeth. Ross is commenting that ambition is deeply destructive. His point is that it is so all-consuming that it can devour or raven up even that which gives us life or keeps us alive. His character intends a fairly clear meaning here, since obviously his assumption is that Duncan's sons have laid waste to their own father, and their ambition has now ruined any chance of their getting the crown, since they'll be charged with murder before they have any chance at a coronation. But the more ironic comment here is that vaulting ambition, our play's great theme, will destroy the life of anyone who lets it dictate all their actions. And there's a nice little echo of the image of the raven here also, that fatal bird, first heard in Lady Macbeth's first scene, 
and now convert it to a verb, meaning to devour, to consume. Ross, innocently, or maybe not that innocently, wonders whether the next in line for selection as the King of Scotland will be Macbeth. But again, Macduff has more news to share. He says, He is already named and gone to Schoon to be invested. So Macbeth has already been chosen to be king, and is on his way to be crowned. This ceremony was performed at Schoon, S-C-O-N-E, site of an ancient abbey where Scottish monarchs were traditionally crowned. The stone of Schoon still exists, and it is the image on the cover art for this series of the podcast. I'll put the story of the stone into the show notes that accompany this episode. For those who want to know, Schoon is about two miles north of Perth in southeastern Scotland. Even if Macbeth and the court are already on the move from Inverness to Schoon, Ross has a more practical, maybe even more respectful question. What about Duncan? Does he get a funeral? He asks, where is Duncan's body? Macduff explains that it has been carried to Column Kill, the sacred storehouse of his predecessors and guardian of their bones. Column Kill is the monastery on the island of Iona, one of the inner Hebrides off the coast of western Scotland, a site of immense importance and sanctity in early Christianity. Column Kill means the Church of Column, or Columba, one of the most significant early Christian saints from Ireland. Iona was the traditional resting place of the kings of Scotland, as Macduff explains here, the sacred storehouse of his predecessors and guardian of their bones. For all of this being a witchy play full of evil incantations and malevolent spirits, it's also a play very much aware of the Christian world in which all of its stories unfold, if we are attuned enough to spot them. And in this episode alone, we've had reference to the holy place where the kings of Scotland were crowned and the other holy place where they were buried. Amid all of this information, Ross continues to be a helpful catalyst in the scene as he keeps these questions coming. Now he asks Macduff, Will you to Schoon? It's an obvious enough question, really. Will Macduff be going to Macbeth's investiture? The answer is actually no. No, cousin. I'll to Fife. Macduff is the thane of Fife, even further east, and he's decided that he will go home to his family rather than watch the Macbeth's big day. It's not an immensely defiant choice, but it is the first little crack. We are starting to see Macduff present a little opposition, maybe even a question mark. And we need this. If Macbeth just goes to Schoon and becomes king and his ambition is fulfilled, and there's no more drama, well then the play is pretty much over. Ross, however, is going to the coronation. He says, Well, I will thither. Macduff is far too shrewd to make anything but a positive comment here. Who knows who is listening? And so he says, Well, may you see things well done there. Adieu lest our old robes sit easier than our new. Of course, the fact that Macduff repeats the word well so obviously does imply a little irony. Well, may you see things well done there. 
does either Macduff or Ross think that this is the right choice? Perhaps not. But certainly there's no room to be defiant just yet. At least not that openly. If you're keeping a running tally of the clothing imagery in the play, there's another one for your list right here. Macduff wonders if their old robes will have been more comfortable and sit easier than the new ones. His point is that Macbeth's regime may prove to be far less comfortable than Duncan's. Macduff is no optimist, it seems. The Arden third edition of the play mentions a really lovely clothing imagery from another text, the second part of Henry IV. This new and gorgeous garment, Majesty, sits not so easy on me as you think. Likewise, Macbeth is no longer going to be wearing borrowed robes or garments. They're his now, and he'll have a crown to go with them. Now that we know where Macduff is going, and indeed where Ross is going, it's time to say goodbye. And so it is Ross that takes his leave of the old man, with a farewell father. It is, in fact, the old man who gets to end the scene with a final couplet. And he says... God's benison go with you, and with those that would make good of bad, and friends of foes. This line is so vague that an actor could send it in multiple directions. The old man, a local here in Inverness, might just be wishing them well and hoping for better things to come. Or perhaps he's implying that he can see well that Ross is a slippery article, capable of shifting his views and adapting to suit the prevailing circumstances. The old man's is obviously not a big part, but within a well-established acting company, it's precisely the kind of little role that can have a really lovely impact on our understanding of all these shifting loyalties in the play. The old man gives his blessing to Ross, maybe even his actual son, and the three men exit, each going his separate way. So ends the scene, and the act, and next time we'll be starting Act 3, Scene 1. Do be sure to check the website, as I'm sure you know by now, thehamletpodcast.com, for more about the Stone of Schoon and the Sanctuary of Iona, among the many other nuggets of information that I've compiled for you there. I want to thank you, as always, for your company, and I'll speak to you next time.